0: We're Welcome back.
1: back to the heart and hustle podcast i'm charisma
2: i'm angelica yard if this is your first time listening we uh talk about like life and balance with our businesses we both own service and product-based businesses now so we've been talking a lot about that in living in the pandemic during a time of high racial challenges and a, you know election year so and we're
1: both black even though you probably don't think that i am <laughs> <laughs> surprise spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert a lot of people listen and don't realize that and then they see us and they're like whoa she's black that's shocking um but yes my yeah, mother is back. white and that's why i sound like this you guys we lost, an episode, yes, we lost an episode yes we lost an episode last
2: week it, we recorded in the club somewhere one.
1: Yeah, it was a great record. Thankfully, we lost one that was just the two of us. Um, we have not, I don't think, ever lost an episode in five years.
2: Um, we have.
1: <laughs> oh, we have. <laughs> we, definitely <Just> have. <laughs> we definitely
2: have. We definitely have.
1: But not many, though. Um, no,
2: this is probably like less than three. So it's probably like the second time or whatever. So. Okay.
1: Yeah, so in five years, like that's not terrible. I was happy that if we were going to lose one, at least it was just us. But we did say a whole bunch of great stuff, but you know, it's fine. Mm -hmm. That was for us. That was just an us episode. We Um, talked about, yeah, basically. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, last week I learned that. That Brandy and Monica had like a thing for real. I thought it was just for the song, but like people really were like, that's you know, what the episode was about. One or the other. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, that was a lot. Like my shock and realization of that was a lot of it. And just us talking about how the show Moesha has not aged well and she's just kind of mean and everybody's mean on the show.
2: I don't know. You guys. It, it was a um, lot. I learned this week on Moesha updates that i not want to care about. Uh, which i had known that the actor who played um what is his akeem. name akeem passed away i did not know mm-hmm. how like I, yeah. I like as a kid you knew but then i went and we we wikied and it was it's very sad do not google it if you don't know you would not be prepared it's ve- they're very in-depth and thorough about his last moments on the earth and they are not good so don't do that that yeah be like and me, learn you from me
1: that a lot of the people on the show have died which yeah sucks. so
2: that's something yeah. that we talked about um we've lost a lot of, of grades if you, you know?
1: have been watching though like some of the new shows that they put on the Netflix yeah like let us know because some of them we've like most of them we've already watched but a lot of them we re-watching and it's always interesting to re-watch things some things age well some things don't um it's interesting to me because I think that like shows like Living Single actually have aged a lot better than like say, Friends.
2: But like
1: point. it's interesting because people watch Friends so often. Like I don't think they, like I didn't watch it for a really long time, and then I had like rewatch it, and it's like some of it is painful. Like so, it's interesting to me the people that watch it all the time. Like they don't necessarily pick up on how problematic and terrible some of that stuff is so it's it's just interesting how different shows age completely differently i'm excited about like i haven't rewatched smart Guy from beginning to end recently so i'm definitely gonna do that I, and... yeah we
2: did that one did i feel like that was the first show we watched when disney plus came back we were like and we're watching smart guy and we sat and watched like all of it it was great my kid loved yeah. it so
1: um yeah we, we we've been doing back. a lot of cartoons um <laughs> because yeah, John and I, like, have, obviously, like, we have a six-year age gap, Um, so there's certain things that he's, like, I haven't seen this, or, like, you've seen that, or whatever, and so, you know, like, when you're re-watching something, but you're not, like, like, you're also doing something else, you mm-hmm. know, Um, whereas, like, certain things, I'm, like, it's the first time for me watching it, and he's watched it, so it's, like, I don't know, we have to, like, find the right times for, like, okay, sometimes we actually both want to be, like, watching this full-on, like, we watched The Great Mouse Detective the other day, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, if you Top guys didn't five. know. Top five. It is like, so good. So good. And John asked to watch it all the time. And I always say no, not because I don't love it, but because for me, that movie deserves a certain amount of respect. Oh, absolutely. So I'm not going to be on my laptop. I'm not going to be on my phone. It has to be when I have full, like a full however long to dedicate 100% to just watching the movie. So he always is like, I'm confused because he's like, all you talk about is how this is the best movie and you loved it as a kid and blah, 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 and you never want to watch it. And I'm like, because it needs respect. Like, same with Five. <laughs> like, it needs respect. Oh and like, you have to have snacks. Like, it's a movie night. Like, it's, it's a whole thing. thing. It's a whole so, thing. yeah. And I'm Don excited Bruce, because thank you. we're going into like movie night um, time, like with fall and everything. So it's like, You know, it's going to be Hocus Pocus Nights. It's going to be Nightmare Before Christmas Nights. Like, I like all the Halloween movies that aren't scary because I'm scared of everything. So, and the old ones because those aren't scary because the graphics and stuff are so bad that they seem really fake. Like, the first Halloween, you know? You're like, this is unreasonable. Like, this seems dumb. So, yeah, I'm excited to watch all those movies. Definitely shoot me like your movie list for the holidays for Halloween and for Christmas. Cause I'm, I'm there. My house is decorated. There's pumpkins everywhere. I realize it's August. I don't care. Um, it's I have not even decorated. Out. Cause I
2: gave you the leaves yesterday. <laughs> like I literally, the box is in the garage. I'm yep. like, fall will be here sometime. I need to get that. Box yeah, out I literally
1: weekend. like, I'm like, I've got my pumpkins out. Like I'm just, I'm ready to go. Like I would carve a pumpkin, but it, it won't last. So if it's a little too early for that, I'll wait until, you know, mid-September to start carving pumpkins but pretty much when they're out I'll probably take a moment and, and carve them I'm, I'm pretty much right I don't even know where I'm gonna live for Halloween like I don't know if I'm gonna be here or in DC I don't know yet but wherever it is I'm having my pumpkins out so
2: yes that's so all we're I having know. a good you know it's a good week it's been Disney, Disney. Wow. Well, I'm like, Disney Thinking for blood. about Disney? <laughs> uh, no, it's been busy. I, the reason why I don't have words, because I was up really late with the emergency project that I had taken on um, out of the blue. And, you know, I'm team all streams of income this year. Like, I'm doing what I can to team get out, because you're leaving. And I'm like, ah, we got to go. Like, what are we doing here? Um, so yeah it just it's been interesting switching back and forth again from service to project to consulting to back and forth with all these things and um i think the learning experience has been really great i don't want to talk about it too much i think we'll probably be able to give more feedback next week actually we are recording the same day that the fall collection for my shop launches so yay i'm really excited about it i almost
1: I almost waited because I, you know, I just obviously recently purchased some more cards from you, um, and I was gonna wait until fall. But I was like, I just need to send people stuff in the mail because I don't yes. know if the mail is Save the exist.
2: yes, please. So, you
1: but I cards. am definitely gonna buy more because you know I'm probably gonna buy like majority of like everything I can afford from the fall line. I'm buying it basically, um, and then I'm working on my fall line too, and it's just. You know, My it's just a lot. My have been texting me
2: about your fall line. Like they've been like, "So these fall candles." I'm sitting here. Yeah, waiting. I'm like, I'm go. honestly,
1: it's just, it's, it's so. I'm making everything to order, and it is definitely a lot. But for fall, we're not going to make stuff to order. Uh, we're going to make a set amount ahead of time and be like, "Sorry, like this is it." So if it sells out, it sells out. I'm kind of nervous about that because I do think, like in a sense, I'm probably going to be leaving money on the table because we're selling more candles than I thought we would sell for sure. Like I have not had the time to even get my marketing plan together. Like I, like I have my interns starting soon and stuff, thank God, because then there'll actually be something up. But I just have another time because honestly, it's just like, it's such a involved process making candles. Like, you know, we're making them in small batches and you're there every step of the way. And it's, it's, it's a laborious process and I love it. I'm not complaining. It's amazing spending my days doing this. My house smells amazing. Like it's so calming. It brings me a lot of joy, but I think that for fall, it's like, we're going to have a set amount because I just want to make sure that it's one thing now, like for like orders to be running late with you, like with the post office and everything going on, and blah, blah blah. And we're in the middle of summer, but for fall, like I know people are going to want their candles like right after, you know, they're going to want immediately. So I just want to make sure that everything is like delivered with speed. Um, so it's just going to be like a set amount, and that's going to be it. And then we're going to do it turn because like, we have to flip right around and get ready for holiday. Um, because that. Oh yeah, be I'm launching- already you know, November 1st, as far as like, I mean, I have all the scents and everything done, but I mean, as far as pouring, you know, it's too early for me to pour, obviously for like my holiday scents. I've tested them all and they're great. And I'm so excited. Um, And a lot of them have really funny names. So I'm excited about that too. But yeah, it's like, I pretty much, as soon as those fall candles are out of my house, I literally have to turn around and pour a ton for holiday. And we're doing more candles, like more variation for Christmas, but we're doing more amount for we're only doing four cents for fall but we're doing more of those cents if that makes sense and then for Mm -hmm. winter we're doing six cents we're thinking about a seventh one that might be like more of a new year scent um but we're gonna be doing technically less of those so it's gonna be fun i'm excited like it's product-based business is like a whole new world and it's amazing and i really love it actually like it's. yeah i don't know i'm feeling like super thankful and i love that like our businesses are growing together like they're like best friends going to like kindergarten together and now they're like Mm -hmm. already in first grade accelerated and they're about to be like graduated from high school next year like i love it
2: (laughs) (laughs) our episode today is amazing we do not want to take too much time because it is so thorough full of depth to get out your notebook get your pencil um go in your pantry like take some pictures because you're probably gonna need to do that um This is, like, my
1: favorite episode that we've had, I think, definitely this year, if not one of, like, like, top three ever. Um, I've mentioned on here before that I've been working with a nutritionist this year, um, mostly because of, like, my fibroid, which I've mentioned before, but also because of, like, my anxiety and because of, like, last summer I went through, like, a really dark, depressive situation um, and I've had disordered eating in the past and I have, like, really large amounts of stress and really, like, nutrition like having a nutritionist helped me with all of these areas um, in just a faster and easier way than I thought. And it's something that I put off number one, because it's expensive. And number two, um, because I thought that it was going to just like ruin my life in a sense of like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm never gonna be able to eat cool stuff again. And I'm not like, I eat like, quote, unquote, pretty healthy for like an American, like, automatically right but I was just like oh I'll never be able to go out to eat with my friends again like nothing will be the same and I was just like afraid to like give that up in a sense too and I also was like what if it doesn't work you know then I'm gonna have to do like scary things or things that are scary to me like possibly get surgery and stuff like that which is something that I was facing possibly having to do which if you have to get surgery it's not the end of the world but I am afraid of everything so you know, like I said I can't <laughs> even watch scary movies like for Halloween Um, so you know When it finally came to the point where it's like, okay, this is something I can do, this is something I can afford, this is someone I feel comfortable to work with. Um, and I took that dive back in what is like April. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was such a weird time to be going through the pandemic and everything like that. But this was really my saving grace this year. And I think if I had not done this, I wouldn't be doing as well as I am with the shop or just like my mental health, anything. Like all of it would be a completely different story, and I'd probably be feeling the way I was feeling last summer coming out of that depressive episode and probably much worse, right? Because 2020, uh, but instead I feel really great and I'm able to, you know, help other people get through this year, which is such a blessing. So yeah, I'm very excited for you to be able to talk to my nutritionist today, guys. It's going to be awesome.
2: So excited. So yes, please get all your notes, get all your pens, your pencils. We will be back next week Again, we are super sorry, but you know, shit happens, what can we yes. do? oh don't forget
1: to follow along with us on instagram and facebook and all the different places uh twitter we're at heart hustle pot at twitter heart and hustle podcast everywhere else um and again we are going to be doing giveaways and stuff throughout the holiday season so make sure that you are signed up now so that you don't miss any of those
2: yes and um please vote if you didn't have voting this week like vote by mail you can get your ballot you can most most states you can take it into the early polling places or you could be like me who went to drop it off at the elections office last night at 655 and remember
1: that you can do that for the (laughs) presidential election as well so if you haven't ordered your ballot hopefully it's not too late in your state but please order your ballot figure that out today um and then yeah like we'll we'll talk more about voting as as we get close and how to like safely do it and all that stuff but Definitely make sure that you have a plan and help the people around you have a plan as well, especially yes. those who are like marginalized or older or whatever.
2: And if you haven't done your census, again, that's very important as well. Please do your census. The census workers are risking their lives out here to try to make sure that you are registered and in-, in place. And I understand that we don't love the idea of things stalking us, etc. And you can do it online so.
1: real fast and easy.
2: Exactly. So please do yeah. it. Like it, it's super helpful for policy. And it really helps Black communities.
1: So, yes,
2: um, with the gerrymandering, it just, there's so much involved with the census. It's not just the government trying to stalk you or whatever. So please go do that as well. But thank you guys for listening as always and enjoy the episode.
1: So, welcome back. I'm really, really excited today because as I've mentioned before, I recently decided to, um, invest in myself and in my health and get a nutritionist. And it's been one of the best investments, honestly, of my life. I think that for the rest of my life, whenever there's anything that is bothering me or I feel a little off, I think that, yes, of course I'll go to my primary physician, but I think that once I realize like what that issue is that I need to work through, I will do that with a nutritionist now and forever because it's a game changer and it literally has changed the way that I eat, the way that I do everything. And this is coming from somebody who's been plant-based since like I was eight years old. So without further ado, I'm very, very excited to have on the podcast today, Sarah Bond, my nutritionist. Welcome, Sarah. Hear
2: noises.
1: <laughs> and for those of you, like our guests who don't already know you, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you
0: do for a living. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm Sarah. I'm a nutritionist. I help people just sort of level up their health by harnessing the power of food to fuel their bodies. Uh, And I purposefully eschew any traditional restriction techniques like calorie counting or dieting. None of my work is diet culture informed. I don't use things like scale numbers, inches measurements, anything like that. Um, I come from a theater background and I think because of that, I mostly attract creatives like yourself. Uh, So I work with creatives on how they can fuel their creativity, feel more energized, how they can meet their athletic or performance goals, how they can get more confident in the kitchen. And I work with people a lot more broadly on reconnecting to their intuition around food and finding ways to decouple their desire to eat well and feel good from their desire to look a certain way, because those things aren't really the same thing, and you can pursue one without getting any healthier. So I'm here to help people get healthier, regardless of all of those other factors. Uh, I always say that my goal as a nutritionist isn't to make people feel like they can't go have a beer and a cookie. My goal is that they become so confident in their nutrition habits through working with me that they can have the beer and a cookie and then move on without obsessing over it or letting it hinder their health journey moving forward, that it's just a part of their day that they intuitively know how to balance in. But outside of that, uh, I was born in Florida. That's where I met Charisma. And I love being outdoors. I really like practicing yoga. I like listening to smooth jazz, and I'm super type A, so I really enjoy list making uh, and reading things like travel books and people's itineraries for fun, Um, so that's kind of like where I get my kicks, (laughs) but I recently got engaged uh, to my fiancé, Alex, and we're moving to Brooklyn next month, so that's pretty exciting
1: yay and also let's say for those who don't know like I've actually known you since you were in like fifth grade (laughs) Mm -hmm. um because you were in my brother Ben's were you guys in fifth grade together or fourth grade I can't remember
0: oh man I don't remember either but yeah
1: y'all have been together like you've been in like you went to school in elementary school uh Mm -hmm. together and then um I met you at Jump Rope for Heart when you were like in fifth grade and I was like oh my goodness what a throw (laughs) yeah (laughs) I I have not thought of that
0: in years good yeah so I remember
1: like Ben used to always have me come out for jump rope for heart because I can do all sorts of like cool jumps and all the kids were like whoa your sister's so cool so that was like his little thing like you know he always has to like find a way to like make every like up every event so he was like I'm gonna bring my sister and make her do cool jumps and I was old enough to be like I was just old enough to be like a quote-unquote chaperone slash parent to attend the event um Mm -hmm. so yeah that was the first time I met you and then later on you guys were um in theater together in high school and you had like one of the best theater programs, if not the best in Florida. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was like, like almost Broadway quality theater in a high school. I still like can't wrap my mind around it. Um, so yeah, I got to see you do all of that, which was super awesome. Just been following your career like forever in a day. So you're basically like, you're more of like a family friend than like a friend friend, you know, like my whole family knows you, which is awesome. So that's why it was also a no brainer for me to choose you as a nutritionist because it was like, very much like I knew that you were someone that I could fully trust um, mm-hmm. and just be like super vulnerable with, which I think that anything to do with food can be very, very vulnerable for people.
0: Super vulnerable. And I think that that's something that a lot of people overlook is that food is is very, very personal. And our relationship with food is can be very tenuous, even if we don't realize it. When we're babies, that's the first way that our mother shows us love is by holding us and feeding us. That's the way that we're comforted before mm-hmm. we have the emotional capacity to, you know, think through our problems and talk about them. You know, we cry, we eat something, we feel better and soothed, and we go to sleep. Uh, so as we get older and we unconsciously pick up, you know, don't have this, have more of this, eat this way, don't eat that way, it just really sort of puts a, a blocker up in that Mm -hmm. primal way that we know how to comfort ourselves and a relationship that should do nothing but contribute to feelings of peace and belonging. So anytime someone tries to talk about their relationship with food, it's definitely a vulnerable situation. And that's why it breaks my heart when people work with nutritionists or health coaches or fitness coaches who just bring the hammer down and are constantly saying, you know, oh, this is bad, this is bad. You can't have that. You can't do this. Uh, it, it just breaks my heart because they're really furthering that disconnect.
2: Yeah, I 100% think that working with the nutritionist is the part that is tied to your mental health and your experiences, your trauma, your therapy, because a lot of people have food trauma. A lot of people grew up with parents who weren't supportive in you know that area and not always on purpose, but it could cause us so much trauma in the way that we approach and think about what we put in our bodies and we, we process that from a very young age. So, I mean, being with someone who makes you feel safe and comfortable, I feel like it's such a high priority. And the fact that you came out of the gate with all of these things that you were saying that you are based on positive reinforcement and not using negative things like scales and, you know, weights and charisma doesn't have to come to you and stand on scale every week when you guys talk yeah. and be like, you know, measure herself. Those are such positive things. I think that lowers like, the gate for people who are looking to get a nutritionist to work with somebody to help them better themselves especially when we're 100 in control of our nutrition right now during a pandemic like we don't really we can't rely so much on the things that we were before which probably wasn't good anyway so a lot of us are learning how to take care of our bodies for the first time
0: it's a really exciting time actually because we are forced to spend time with ourselves uh you know we've had to stop running around as much Spend a little bit more time at home, spend a little bit more time getting to know our bodies, paying true attention to our energy levels, what feels good, what doesn't, what our habits are when we feel stressed and when things hit the fan. So, I, yeah, I think that this is a really powerful time to make nutrition changes because you can cement them in. You can build those new neural pathways and those habits. And then when the world starts to open up a little bit more, they're already root, they're already easy. And I think that Charisma can probably speak to that because she's made a lot of strong changes during quarantine and just really, I think most impressively, upped her attunement levels so much with her nutrition uh, that it seems like the conversation between her and her body is loud and clear. Whereas before, it could get a little bit muddied by the hustle and bustle and you can't hear what your body is asking for as much.
1: Yeah. It's honestly like shocking to me. Like I still am very just daily surprised that like how I don't want or crave the things that I used to feel as if like, I don't have this, I will not get through the day, you know? Um, and like those things don't even like bother me anymore. It's just very strange. Like it's just, it's surreal. And then like, you know, coming home, like from a place, if I'm like, oh, if I went out grocery shopping, like before I might've been like, Oh, like, let me stop and get food from this place or that place. And now I'm just like, I don't really want that food. Like, I'm really excited about the food that I know is on like the plan that I've made. And I've bought like the proper groceries to make it. And like, there's not really anything, you know, every once in a while, sure. Like there's a food, like something I might want to eat out or whatever, but like nine times out of 10, I'm very excited about what we're having at home. Um, and that's, that's been a massive change. And even with things starting to slowly open up, like we're not ready to like dine out fully yet. Cause hello, Florida is a hot mess. Um, but like, <laughs> we definitely feel like totally fine picking food up, but we just find that we're not doing it very often. You know, like, it's just not something that we feel the need to do in the same way that we used to. So, and then when we do, it's 100% so easy to just go and get like, the meal that is really healthy because that's what we want it's not like a oh I'm not like when I go to um chicken which is like a Korean barbecue place here in Orlando that if you follow me on Instagram you've definitely seen me go there and I used to go and I would get the vegan bowl that they have and I would get kimchi fries every time because like hello they're delicious but honestly like I'd be stuffing myself so full it was like delicious but I'd feel like really heavy and like not so great afterwards and now like I just don't get the fries and like I don't want them which is wild to me like I don't understand but I don't know I don't know what you did but it's amazing <laughs>
0: yeah yes, and it's not it,
1: it truly isn't me being like oh I shouldn't have the fries it's literally just like I just don't want to to have them that's it's just wild
2: it yeah, I think magic. That- oh go ahead Sarah sorry <laughs>
0: Uh, I just I think that when everything is allowed, you know, when you're Mm -hmm. when you know that you can have the fries if you wanted them, that's when they lose their power. It is, and it's It's tricky. It's so tricky because decisions that are truly honoring your body and very intuitive decisions, you know, like if I eat this, I'll probably feel physically ill, and that would not be fun. So I'm not going to have it. You know, the action. that that results in aka not getting the fries is the same action that someone with a restrictive mindset could have oh I shouldn't have those they're x y and z like I can't get the fries because they're bad both people don't order the fries one person spends the rest of the day thinking about the fries Mm -hmm. finally breaks down drives back to chicken gets the fries eats them all in their car feels awful because they ate an entire thing of fries in like 30 seconds Um, and the other person just moves on with their day and if there came a time when you wanted the fries you would probably Just go yeah. order them, share them with someone if you are with somebody else or have a couple until they stopped tasting as amazing as the first one did and take the rest of them home with you, pop them in the mm-hmm. oven the next day or for dinner uh, so that they can taste super good and fresh all over again. So mm-hmm. it's never about eliminating things from your diet, but rather allowing all things and not moralizing one food over another and then seeing where your body naturally leads you and that process is a lot easier said than done for a lot of people there's oftentimes this eat all the things phase after all foods become allowed again uh you know whether it's ice cream or chips or bananas whatever it is that you have restricted once that food becomes allowed there's sometimes a period where people eat it endlessly or what seems like endlessly But after a while, our bodies are really smart and they're not going to ask for that food every single day. So Mm -hmm. if you let it kind of run its course and just keep listening, there will come a time when your body's like, hmm, how about a vegetable? And you can honor that. And that way you can eat vegetables and French fries with equal confidence because, you know, your body is not going to demand French fries every day. So true.
2: Oh, my goodness. So, Sarah, since you were an amazing jump rope for heart participant,
0: um, from (laughs) there
2: to becoming a nutritionist, what was that journey like? And what do you have to do to become a nutritionist? What is the background for that? Because I think with the internet and so much pseudoscience and some of the crazy things that are going on with MLMs, you know, kind of put nutritionist Mm. tax on some of their people who work there. I really want to know what your journey was like and why is that so different from just buying and selling shakes and then suddenly feeling like you're a nutritionist i really want to hear your journey and what you had to put into angelica it to does not point. like mlms at all Look, by the way I'm tell. <laughs> i will support some of it like i understand like i like the idea of people having income but i don't like using and i think um last week our last episode i talked about unwell which is a document series on netflix but i don't like the pseudoscience in telling people that they're qualified to do something that professionals are trained to do. And so yeah. you put in so much schooling and work and studying and your craft and your science and making sure you approach people on an as needed basis. So I just want to make sure that our listeners are informed and in what that looks like and how much that difference, the difference between that and then like signing a contract to buy $10,000 worth of stock and product. Like it's, it's <laughs> such a difference so.
0: Absolutely. And there is a bit of contention around that in the nutrition sphere, because you can be, you know, Sally from the cul-de-sac that decided to sell Herbalife, or you can be a nutritionist, or you can be a registered dietitian. And registered dietitians go through a bachelor's degree, and then after 2022, they're required to have a master's degree. They have a specific set of, uh, they're called like didactic requirements. Uh, DPDs is the abbreviation, but I can't remember the full term. Uh, but they have a, a certain type of coursework that they need to take. They have to complete an internship, and then they have to complete their licensing exam. So that is a registered dietitian. Oftentimes you can find dietitians working in private practice, but they are also people that commonly work for the government, they work for hospitals, they work for private organizations that are writing nutrition plans for students or for athletic teams, things like that. A nutritionist uh, doesn't have to go through that state licensing process uh, and doesn't need to have necessarily a master's degree or bachelor's degree in nutrition. So my undergraduate work was in theater and arts administration. I have a BA in arts administration and a BFA in musical theater. When I decided that I wanted to become a nutritionist, I looked at becoming a registered dietitian and at becoming a certified nutritionist. And for me, being a certified nutritionist was a better fit. I didn't necessarily want to take six years and go back to school uh, before I could start helping people. Uh, And I had a pretty strong understanding of nutrition to begin with. So I did a four-month online certification program through the American Fitness and Professionals Association. And I guess what I would caution your listeners to do is just straight up ask the person that you're considering seeking services from where their certification uh, lies and then go look that up. Because you Mm -hmm. can do a, like a 72 hour online course and call yourself, you know, nutrition. The the thing is that registered dietitian is a regulated definition. Nutritionist is not. So someone can just call themselves a nutritionist. They can do a program like I did, which was uh, the thing that I found that was the most legitimate outside of going back to university. Uh, or they can just do like a three-day immersion from an Instagram influencer and call themselves a nutritionist. So I would ask your practitioner where their certification came from, how long it took them. You know, if you want to, you can ask them things like, what was the most important thing that you learned? What are your, uh, you know, what's the, the foundation of your practice? How do you go about helping people? You know, you are interviewing them they work for you. Uh, so you have to make sure that you feel really confident with where they're coming from. And I, I think that being a nutritionist instead of a dietitian has just allowed me a little bit of extra flexibility to incorporate a more holistic and whole body approach when I see clients. Uh, I didn't want to study the American food pyramid and then be certified to like teach that uh (laughs) i lived in hong kong for a few years so i'm really interested in eastern medicine um a little bit informed by traditional chinese medicine uh and alternative methods in general so i wanted to be able to incorporate things like that as well as you know good nutrition science so i chose the certification route and it's worked really well for me thus far nutrition science is not that complicated uh, if people <laughs> just stick to the basics. So it, it was definitely enough for me to learn that and learn it well. So that is what it took for me to become a nutritionist. Um, and then part two of your question was how I decided to become a nutritionist. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, to be honest, what spurred me to become a nutritionist was seeing my own health decline and then rebound because of my relationship with food, I had a pretty healthy childhood, early adulthood, which looking back, I see that there was always a slight presence of diet culture in the corner, uninvited, you know, just in that socially acceptable way of, oh, but better be watching this. You know, all the women in my family were always kind of commenting on this or that or on a kick or got to lose five pounds, but I've never thought too much of it. I loved cooking and sharing food that was always a huge joy of mine. I remember when I was a as a sophomore in college, before I had any furniture in my apartment, I like invited friends over and made them veggie burgers from scratch and we like ate on my empty living room floor off of paper plates because I just loved cooking for people. So, that was always part of my life. But then when I was doing a really stressful performing contract my mental health took a pretty big hit. And the way that that anxiety and frustration manifested for me was in hyper-controlling my food. And the more stress that I got, the more I thought, oh, if I just ate a little bit cleaner and worked out a little bit harder, did things a bit more right, then I would feel like myself again. You know, I would feel energized and empowered and good. But that couldn't have been farther from the truth. Uh, the more regimented I was, the more disconnected I felt. From people around me. And the more health issues I had, the healthier I tried to be. I was just constantly thinking about food. I had trouble sleeping. My hair was spinning. I had zero sex drive. I was bruising really easily. I had to pee all the time. And my, my, my anxiety was just constantly through the roof. Um, so thankfully... I was able to turn things around with lots of support from my fiance and from therapy and from a lot of inner work and journaling and time and patience. Uh And I got to really experience falling in love with food all over again. I couldn't believe how much energy and appreciation for life and health that I had. And it was so cool because I would like take a bite of an apple and be like, "Ah, oh, I've never tasted anything so amazing. Or I'd eat a Dorito and then be like, have you ever tasted Doritos? Um, It was really, really cool to experience that sense of freedom anew for myself. Uh, And I really wanted everybody to be able to experience that and just see how much better every facet of their life could get when they had an unbridled and joyful relationship with food and nutrition. So I decided to get my certification through AFPA. Um and it, like I said, I completed it online while I was doing a couple performing gigs and haven't looked back since. So it's been really, really wonderful. That's
1: so amazing and that reminds me of like one of the things that you told me that was one of the biggest takeaways of like working with you, um, which was that it's amazing that I actually love food um, because not everyone has that relationship with food. And Mm -hmm. I had never looked at it that way. Like I have a history of disordered eating and, you know, but even when I like in the past had not been eating, like I still loved food. Like there was never a moment where food didn't bring me enjoyment. And one, one of the times that we were talking during one of our sessions, you were like, how beautiful is it that you get to, you know, have enjoyment from food and that like, not only does it like nourish your body, but it does like bring you comfort and make you happy and all these things. And, and that was like, Whoa, like that was like such a huge, like light bulb moment and really changed like my connection to food in the way that I feel about food. And mm-hmm. again, like, you're also someone who loves food, which is why I feel like you make a good nutritionist because like you understand like the, you know, the recipes, the guidance that you give, like it's good because it's like for people that actually enjoy food, which is so important. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And that's something that I work with my clients that don't enjoy food or that have distanced themselves from their emotions around food so much that they don't remember what it feels like to just enjoy something without thinking about, is this good for me? Is this bad for me? Did I measure out my teaspoons well enough? Um, I really work with them on reconnecting to that sense of enjoyment because we have to do it three times a day at a minimum. I would argue you should be doing it more, but like at a minimum, we're eating three mm-hmm. times a day. And if that can be an act of self-care and if eating can be something that delivers us pleasure, wow, like that is a powerful tool. It's hard to carve out time for yourself, even amidst COVID. It can be difficult. And if you have an activity that is guaranteed to make you feel good physically and emotionally that you have to do several times a day. You know, if that activity can be joyful, that's automatically a certain percentage of your day that's going to be spent in pleasure and in joy. And it's going to be a lot easier to spiral up and spend the rest of your day in a positive headspace than if when you're eating, it's always fraught with fear and confusion. Uh, If we have to do it, it should definitely be something that serves us. So I'm, yeah, I, I, I love food. I love sharing it with people. And I'm so glad that you do too, because- It's It's just such a beautiful (laughs) way to connect. I love sharing recipes, eating other people's family recipes. When I was little, my dad and I had a fig tree out back and I remember coming home from school and we would go pick fruit and talk about our day and eat figs on the back porch. Just memories like that are made so much sweeter Mm -hmm. uh, having that shared bit of connection. So speaking
1: of connection, why do you think that there's such a disconnect when it comes to people's understanding of nutrition and food, especially here in the United States?
0: Ah, uh, the fake news. <laughs> yes. There is fake news everywhere. And like all fake, I'm going to get a little political here, but like all fake news, the only reason it exists is so that people can make money. So mm-hmm. we've got fake news on one side where food is packaged with bright bombarding colors. It's got all these adjectives like, you know, crunchy, zesty, flaming hot. Uh, you know, it, it just tons of vocabulary that's geared towards being super exciting. Mm-hmm. It's shiny uh, and it's hyper palatable. It's literally engineered by scientists to be addicting, to deliver a quick, Surge of energy that then crashes so that you need more of it um, and that's typically what we see in mass produced processed uh, product foods which are not I, I want to be clear those foods are not morally bad they are just designed to be a certain way and to have a certain effect on people mm-hmm. then you have the other side of the spectrum where people are like oh keto Gluten free, Mediterranean, low carb, high carb, vegan, vegetarian, flexitarian. I just, I, I truly can't keep up with all the labels and the articles that come out every day telling people, you know, you should eat the whole egg and then egg yolks are terrible for you and then you just shouldn't <laughs> eat eggs altogether. Eat eggs if they're free range. I mean, I don't blame people for being so confused because there are so many confusing messages out there. And The reason why there's so many conflicting messages out there is because it creates demand. If people are being Mm -hmm. made to feel like they're doing something wrong, then they will continue to purchase more products, to read more articles, to buy into more fake news, to try to get it right. So if foods are really flashy uh, in their advertisement, say like a bag of Cheetos, for example, that look super appealing and might have enough calories but not enough nutrients, that's gonna keep people coming back for more. And then if people go on the other end of the spectrum and they're paying like $18, because they have $18 to spend on chickpea puffs with you know hemp seed Parmesan, like bougie ass Cheetos, essentially, um, that creates a whole different kind of, of scarcity in the mind. So there's lots of fake news. It gets moralized on both sides. So people feel not only confused, but they feel guilty for eating one way or another. And when people feel guilty, they don't feel empowered to do their own research or trust their gut. If they're constantly feeling guilty about what they are or are not eating, they're not going to tune in and be their own teacher and see what feels right for them. They're going to continue seeking out answers elsewhere instead of trusting their body to lead the way. Our bodies can always lead the way if we let them. When we're born, we're not like, ah, I should probably, you know, lay off the breast milk for a day or two, but having it too much. (laughs) No, like our bodies are smart. They know what to do and they know what to eat if we let them. If we strip away all of the labels and adjectives and hyperbolic media that surrounds food, our bodies will intuitively know what to eat and how much of it to eat to fuel our needs. But unfortunately, we are kept in a place of not knowing, very intentionally buy food and diet marketing companies so that they can continue to profit off of us
2: I
1: that is so this. accurate like that's oh my god like that's 100 it like how you said like you know i don't know like you just you are learning from outside sources instead of looking at your own body and it gets to a point where you're doing it so often that you just really forget how to listen to your body and that was 100 me like everything i ate i was like is this good? Is this not good? Like what, you know, who says what about this? Like, is this banana going to make me gain weight? Like everything was just about like what I was hearing and never, ever like checking in with myself. And honestly, like not even like knowing how to do that anymore like that was really where I was at whereas like now I can do it so effortlessly and I think that that's I think a lot of people think it takes a lot longer than it does but it was a (laughs) a very quick process yeah Mm -hmm. and for me I think a lot of it was like you know kind of like how you talked about before Sarah like with the permission because I think the first two weeks I was like absolutely perfect and I did ate everything I was supposed to eat when I was supposed to eat it, whatever. And then I think on the third week, I don't, I think, I don't know if I had had a bad day or I was stressed or whatever, but I had some vegan ice cream. And so I remember like being so nervous going into our chat that week and being like telling you like, yeah, like, you know, I had some ice cream and then you were like, okay, great. You're like, I'm proud of you for like seeing what you felt you needed and then having it and then moving on and then going back to like your plan and going, you know, back to your day and just like moving on. And I was like, oh. So like, I'm allowed to, to do this. I'm allowed to like make these decisions about my body and see what is like, best for me and that sort of thing. And again, when you have like that permission, like the walls come down and you're just like not as obsessed with those foods that you think you're not supposed to be having. And you actually like listen and say like, okay, well, what do I actually want? You know what I mean? Um so yeah, for me it's like it's I don't worry so much like if I do want a cookie I'll have a cookie, but I like listen to like do I actually want a cookie? Am I, I I'm not constantly thinking about a cookie because I'm not allowed to have it.
0: You know what I mean? Absolutely. Anything. I mean, that's just how humans work. If you say you can't have something then you're going to want it. <laughs> uh, regardless of what it is. For some people it's cookies. I work with other people that are so Far entrenched in diet culture, that it is like you know a whole banana or yep. dried fruit mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. drinking my calories, you know mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know if the idea of a smoothie is super exotic to someone because they're terrified to drink their calories, uh, then of course they're going to be scrolling through Instagram looking at smoothie recipes. They're going to be on their Pinterest looking at smoothies. They're going to be thinking of it, dreaming of it, looking at it on every restaurant menu. Uh, and that's just not a way to live. Like if, if something is on your mind that much, then you should have it so that you can move on and then continue to get back out there and live your life. I always yeah. tell people our habits should be in service of us. We are not slaves to our habits. So if it's getting to the point where your quote unquote healthy lifestyle is eating up so much mental energy that you're unable to give of yourself, that you're unable to be present for family members, friends, partners, if you are not able to contribute as meaningfully to uh, social justice movements or advocacy work or tend to your inner work and your personal growth because you're so busy thinking about that cookie that you really want, you usually need to eat the cookie so you can get back to business. Like we've got... We've got some bigger fish to fry than if you're eating a cookie or not.
1: Speaking of social justice, thank God I was working with Sarah in June because like her and John kept me alive because I was not thinking about food. I was not like I was not in a place where I could do that because I was doing a lot of organizing and making sure that certain people protesting here were getting home safe and just doing a whole bunch of other things. So it's like literally it's like she had a game plan that game plan was like, this is what was truly fantastic is that not only would I get like our meal plans and our things like that, but John would get them as well. Um, and so literally like he just followed that plan and just handed me meals and that like, I needed that, that especially that first week, but really it was like probably like a a three week period where like it was more on him to make sure that we were eating food. And I don't like, if we wouldn't have a plan, I would have just eaten like, I don't know, like I guess a banana and like a handful of granola and I would have called it a day and then I would have been running on empty and I was just using so much energy and so like just so much of my brain during that time frame. Um, And yeah, I would have just been completely like my tank would have been on empty. Um, So because of that, I was able to go into July not feeling as if I ran the marathons that I ran. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So Moving on a little bit into the business side, because I'm sure like all of us, we all had our origin story (laughs) in what we did when we started our business. So what were the three most important things for you that you did when you were starting your business?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And it was good because it made me think back and reflect on my journey a little bit. And the three things were pretty clear. Uh, Number one, ask for help from people that were already in the industry whose work I admired and from people like my fiance, who has a much better grasp on the technical side of things than I do. Uh, so I was asking him questions about, you know, hey, how does Stripe work to collect credit card payments? How does PayPal work? I need to figure out email marketing. Uh, things like that were wonderful to have him as a resource for. And if I didn't have him, then I would try to reach out uh, to other people and find the answers to those questions. So asking for help was huge. Uh, The second most important thing I did was invest financially. I know that I could have spent weeks and months and hours agonizing over trying to design my website. Unfortunately, I'm not a designer and that sort of stuff doesn't come intuitively to me. So I hired someone. And that was the best decision that I could have made. It took a lot of stress off of my shoulders. She was wonderful. I was really glad that I got to support an independent designer. We met in Hong Kong right before I moved back to the U.S. So we were able to work together remotely, which was fabulous. And she really understood what it was I wanted and was able to help create that for me. And then the third most important thing I did was set boundaries and take breaks. That's something that is really hard for a lot of creatives to do, a lot of type A people to do. When you're both, it's even more difficult. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not saying I was great at that, but when I did it, I was so grateful that I did. And I'm in a, a bit of a place now where I'm uh, setting up a bit of a boundary and I'm investing a little bit more, less time in my business and a little bit more time on personal things. Uh, I'm applying for grad schools and and stuff like that. So I had to pare back my offerings a little bit. I used to offer one-on-one and group nutrition counseling. Now I only offer one-on-one counseling because that fits in better uh, with my schedule. And serving my one-on-one clients really thoroughly and diligently is super important to me. And I couldn't continue doing that if I was trying to do 80 other things at once and go live on Instagram twice a week and contribute to my stories every day and write blogs and do a group and plan my wedding and apply for grad school and move like it was just too much Uh, so setting boundaries has really helped my business grow because it strengthens the offers that I do have to make them more valuable for my clients
1: yeah that's so true we're very big on balance and stuff here too as well so yeah just not trying to do all the things because there's just not enough hours in the day
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's good that you had that mentality already early on in like, A, investing in yourself and knowing when to take breaks because you would have definitely burned out before you even gotten started. Oh, like yeah. Going 100%, uh, especially in this. I can't imagine the entrepreneurs are starting businesses from scratch now. Like, you definitely have to have those things happening because the world outside is bad enough. Like, you don't mm-hmm. need to, like, stress yourself out with your business uh, on top of it. Yeah,
0: And there's all this productivity porn circulating with COVID, Mm -hmm. you know, like people think that at the end of this pandemic, they need to emerge being able to do 20 pull ups have started a new business, you know, read 80 books on anti racism, and baked sourdough every single day, (laughs) when none of that is true, like do a little bit of anti racism reading, but, you know, uh, you don't have to, you don't have to start a new business and launch it and have it grow to be a massive platform all within a pandemic. That's a fallacy. My
1: favorite are like the people in my inbox, like the white people in my inbox that are like, look at the book I'm reading. And then they don't like vote. (laughs) I'm like, well, that doesn't help me that you read that book, but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, great.
0: (laughs) Or they like post a picture of it on their stories and it's the title page. And you're like, so... Yeah. they're like the loving time. this book it's, it's the, the first time. page I'm like you at you've read the the dedication that's
1: it yeah I'm like let me know when you have like that yeah it's so true people like announce when they started it I'm like let me know when you finish the book how about that
0: yeah like, then we'll have a
1: conversation
0: <laughs> yeah
1: um so you're very vocal about being plant-based but you don't necessarily like use the term or the label like vegan very often when it comes to like describing your actual food choices so tell me a little bit more about that decision and like Let's talk a bit about like white veganism and all that, because I know you're very vocal about that and, and the, just the complexities of all of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's cool first off that we were able to get this far in the interview without mentioning the fact that I eat plant-based because (laughs) that's sort of how it feels in my life and how Mm -hmm. it feels with my clients. Some of them are plant-based, some of them are not. All of them eat a lot of plants. And it doesn't have to be as big of a deal as sometimes vegans like to make it. Uh, the only thing pretty much across the board that people from any dietary camp can agree on, whether they like the Mediterranean diet or whether they're trying to eat low carb or even people that are trying to eat keto in a healthful way, like the one thing people can agree on is that plants are good and we should eat more mm-hmm. of them. Right. Uh, so I recommend to all of my clients that they, eat a lot of plants. Uh, And different plants have different benefits. So we track things like, let's make sure I get dark leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables and starchy things like yams or sweet potatoes. Uh, You know, we try to incorporate all of those things because they have a variety of different compounds that contribute to health. So I I choose to eat fully plant-based unless I'm like in France and wanna have a bite of cheese, in which case I eat the cheese and then I move on and life is grand. and I choose to call myself plant-based as opposed to vegan because veganism is wrapped up in a lifestyle, not just dietary consumption. Mm-hmm. So if someone identifies with being vegan, they are not purchasing clothes or other goods that are made with or tested on animals. So no leather boots, no cosmetics that are tested on animals, etc. And that's a lovely idea, don't get me wrong. I'm not like looking for products that are tested on animals. Uh, but I don't like to call myself vegan because that lifestyle is championed by a group of very emphatic folks who love to feel good about the fact that they are cruelty-free. But oftentimes their assessment of how good they are lacks intersectionality and class consciousness. And they use the fact that they are vegan Hashtag cruelty free as like a get out of jail free card for any other kind of self-examination or social engagement. And I find that really frustrating. Um, and I think that it contributes to that spread of fake news. First yeah. of all, I think that consuming in a cruelty free way is impossible in a capitalist food system. Mm -hmm. There are issues with dairy milk production, and there are issues with almond milk production. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. that plant-based is far more accurate than cruelty-free. You know, unless you are eating super hyper localized, there's going to be unfair treatment at some point along the production line from farmers. It's great if no factory farmed pigs were killed to make my veggie bacon, But if humans had to suffer to grow the pea and the wheat to make the veggie bacon, then create that product, distribute and sell it right down to the supermarket worker that's not making a living wage, then it's not cruelty free. And a lot of times vegans completely ignore the supply chain and only focus on the animal life. Uh, And newsflash, humans are animals. So if a human's rights are being infringed upon in the production of my food, it is not cruelty free. And so long as we live under a capitalist food system, it's pretty near impossible to eat a completely cruelty-free diet. And for that reason, I think a lot of vegans are being short-sighted. And I'm glad that you've mentioned how whiteness and veganism play into each other too, because white veganism is, it's so problematic. It's an issue. (laughs) Like, you know, when people think about vegan food, they typically think about privileged food they typically think about white food. When you think about foods that are quote unquote bad, you oftentimes think of readily available and expensive calories, not foods that are associated with whiteness. When you think about foods that are quote unquote good, you think about you know these organic hemp infused CBD lattes, which are usually associated with whiteness. So by praising all of these good foods, you're creating an irrational fear Around foods that represent communities of color. Veganism and white veganism totally demonize cultural foods too, for a lot of those same reasons. You know, family recipes, ways of connecting, usually things like simple carbs, white rice, masa, those things are deemed not as healthy and not as good, and therefore the people that consume them not as healthy and not as good and it really perpetuates this fear cycle that because of how implicit bias works people are going to pick up on that you know even if you are a good person and you've never said any racist things or done outwardly racist actions if you hold the belief that food that is associated with blackness is bad how do you think you're going to feel about black people just by virtue of believing that yeah. So I think that, that veganism really perpetuates racial stigma in that way. And then it also perpetuates, like I said, that obsession with clean eating. And oftentimes I find that veganism can just be a shield for orthorexia or for disordered eating behaviors that people don't want to face. And they just hide behind veganism uh, and just sort of tout that as a look like, I'm just trying to do good. I'm just in it for the animals. I'm just in it for the environment, et cetera. When there's really a whole lot of other things we have to look at. I mean, the food waste problem in America is insane. This is uh, like a fun fact statistic. If, if the food waste of the United States were a country, it would be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter behind the US and China. Wow. That is how much greenhouse gas is emitted by the food wastage in America. Not to mention that we could feed all of the people that are starving on the planet with our food waste. You know, we're also contributing to the destruction of our climate. Uh, So vegans are like notably silent about that. Mm. You know, they're super silent about the fact that a lot of people's basic caloric needs can't be met. And our task should be to meet them in whatever way possible. You know, I don't, I don't care if that's beef. I don't care if that's Snickers. If someone is starving, they should have food. I don't yeah. care if it's vegan or not. Uh, so I think that they like to overlook a lot of things within the food chain um, and within our socioeconomic system at large
1: yeah i love that and it's so funny because there's like a real world example of like white vegans using veganism to just kind of be like oh well i'm good because i'm a vegan literally happening in orlando right now because like oh my goodness (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was like the owners of dandelion community cafe like basically yeah their their staff like they were trying to unionize and say like hey like our building's falling apart we don't have living wages all these other things we want to work together and, like, make, like, this better and, like, you know, kind of, like, please treat us better. We're your employees. And we love working here, but, like, we need it to be better working conditions. And they were like, no, we're just going to close. <laughs> and it's like I I, I hadn't heard before. I, Angelica, I don't know if you have because I know my friend Nicole was like, yeah, I've heard bad things about the owner before. Um, so I hadn't heard anything before, but I guess there was already those rumors of like, he's just not a good guy and like the owners were not good people. And I think the problem like, is
2: there's too many owners. So and then what happened with
1: Stankdom? It was like the same yeah, kind of like,
2: problematic stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're, you just can't pinpoint the actual problem, which is, I mean, that happens in a lot of food places, especially in Orlando, because a lot of people go in to food businesses. And then there's obviously a turnover and Dandelion had several... Ownership transfers, but the people who owned it previously always claim being owner. So this is where we're getting into that tricky issue of like who is the problematic person and pinpointing for. As far as I know, I think it's the male individual uh is the one that last That's, claimed yeah. to be the owner to have the That's issues with heard. it. But there have been several people coming at the woodworks in Orlando, groups and circles and everything, being like I'm an owner or I was an owner, and it's just it's been so confusing, but. I think the bottom line is there has been several allegations about this place for a while. I don't even think just under this person's ownership. I think the previous ownership also had issues and allegations or some big drama um, around a couple of years ago around the issue before that person transferred to ownership. And I think that just I think the they, the willingness to rather close the restaurant than to fix it says speaks volumes about yeah. the problems mm-hmm. about you know like you were saying not that's not cruelty free and for the people who are in Orlando who, who keep posting about how much they love Dandelion Cafe I urge you to look at your like memories and say okay well it's good that I like this place but also the person was being harmful to actual living human beings who are working with them and treating them poorly and refused to just Fix their working conditions and would rather have closed the restaurant. So it's not a loss for you. Like, yes, mm-hmm. so it was too bad you can't get salad or soup or whatever it was. Like kombucha that was good on tap. Great. Sorry. You know, rest in peace. But these people were poorly abused, gaslit, locked out of their place of employment, probably losing wages, probably will never get mm-hmm. those wages back. That's not cruelty free. I don't mm-hmm. think that does anything with the spirit of veganism. I don't think that fits within the lifestyle. So I don't know how we will continue to support this the situation as that's happened with so many vegan and plant-based restaurants here that yeah, know, were Saint vegan and issues
0: as well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um,
2: totally yeah. on board with everything you've been saying, Sarah.
0: <laughs> and it's not, I, you know, I want to reassure vegans. It doesn't have to be one or the other. I'm not saying we can't care about animal lives because we're caring about human lives. I'm just truly saying that we need to care about the definition of animal lives, which includes humans.
1: Yeah, You know, I'm
0: super glad if we're eliminating cruel agricultural practices, that's awesome. I also don't think that human beings should be denied their basic human rights, like a safe place to live, access to quality health care and access to quality nutrition. And if you're looking the other way, when it comes to issues of systemic racism that keeps people from their birthright, then I don't think you can call yourself vegan, Honestly, I don't think you can call yourself cruelty free. If you're sitting here patting yourself on the back because you haven't eaten pigs in five years, that's awesome. But there's the fact that people in your immediate community are starving or they are being paid a non-living wage. Like that blows my mind. And that's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night, honestly. So I think that that is where we need to direct our attention. But I'm not saying we can't care about the animals. Like we can care about both.
1: Yeah. Right. We can we
0: can criticize Joe Biden and yet still vote for him. We can demand (laughs) structural change and still make individual change. I don't think that it has to be one or the other. So we can still care about animals, but also be like trying to break down capitalism at the same time. And that's, I think, you know, going to be a a more well-rounded and effective approach.
1: And I love that you talked about like the gatekeeping within the community. And I really love that you mentioned France, because for me, like when you and your dad went to France, like, like a while back for me, that was actually the turning point of like making that switch from vegetarian to vegan. I don't know if Mm -hmm. I ever like told you this, Um, but I remember like we were having a conversation at random and I remember being like really confused because I was like, okay, but you're in France and like, you're gonna have like cheese and bread. Uh, but you're like, you know, like like I understood you to be like pretty much like a vegan at that point. And you're like, yeah, Chrisma, I'm in France. And I was like, yeah. oh.
0: <laughs> yeah. oh.
1: Because to me, I was like, if I I had been a vegetarian since I, you know, was like around eight, nine years old, and everyone Even meat eaters gatekeep me so hard because it was Mm -hmm. such a new thing at that time. So, like, I remember my mom had to come to the school because this was like my decision. This is not like a family thing. Like, I was just like a strange child that announced to my mom, I would like to be a vegetarian. And she's like, Do you know what that means? And I'm like, That means I don't eat animals. And she was like, All right, if that's what you want to do, like, I support it. So, she had to go to the school and like tell them. So that when I did eat lunch there, like they could provide like a plant based option, which is not something they had at the time, because it's like the 90s. And it's like, what the heck, but my school was great about it and stuff. But it's just everyone was always has always been very interested in what I'm eating, because it's like, Oh, you're a vegetarian. So you don't eat this, you don't, there's always all these questions around it. So for me, it was always I felt and because I made that decision because of animals, right, when I was eight, I made the decision for animals. And so I always felt like I had to eat so perfectly because I felt like everyone is watching me and I need to make sure that I do a good job and I show up for vegetarianism and like, I'm doing it perfectly. So as I got older, like I kind of started, like the first thing that I dropped was milk and then, you know, I dropped eggs and you know, like the last thing was cheese, but you know, there was that thought of like, well, I haven't been to Italy yet. And like my family's Italian and one day I'm going to go and like, I'm going to want to like go to some of the places that my family is from and like eat the food the way that it's served, you know? And so I was like, if I'm going to do that in the future, I guess I can't be a vegan because then everyone will know that I messed up. Like that mm. is the literally the way that I thought about it. Mm-hmm. And so when you were like, yeah, my dad and I are going to France and I'm going to eat cheese and bread because hello, I am in France um and you even broke it down for me I don't know if you remember this but you were like charisma and then you like explained how bread is made and you were like this is like one eighth of an egg and like I'm not in France every day like it's gonna be fine and I was like oh like it was such a light bulb moment for me to like go ahead and be like almost like not afraid to like claim eating like a vegan you know diet you know what I mean like mm-hmm. so and it's the only to me the only reason that it's beneficial is because people do like family members and stuff want to know what I'm eating so they know what to serve you know so it's like they don't want to serve me something that I'm uncomfortable eating so I do get that question a lot like is it vegetarian or are you like a full-on vegan so mm-hmm. you know for those reasons is, is really the only reason it matters just people that are going to give me food and for myself of knowing what I'm comfortable eating and not eating but yeah there's it's just a lot of gatekeeping in the community to a point where it makes people almost afraid to be plant-based or to be vegan or whatever because they're just so afraid they'll mess up for one second
0: and it'll be like the end of the world you know yeah that's something I hear a lot from people is I could I could be vegan except for cheese to which I would say well then be vegan except for cheese Yes. <laughs> like, then yeah. go, go for it. Like, then do that. That's fine. I'm not here to tell you you can't. Um, you know, and with, with things like traveling and trace ingredients, you know, it all comes down to everyone's individual comfort level, but that's where that intuition that I was speaking about comes into play. Um, you know, in the case of freshly baked bread, most of it's going to be naturally vegan. If it has an egg white wash on the top to make the crust shiny, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And even when I'm in France, I'm not going to be eating, you know, croque madame's for every meal with tons of cheese in it because I, it's probably going to make me feel ill um, because I don't eat cheese all the time. Uh, right. And even if I did, it would probably make me feel ill if that's all that I had for every meal. And I'm trying to enjoy my time in France. But if we go to a fromagerie and we find a perfect Piece of cheese that's going to go great with the wine that we want to have that evening, then of course I'm going to have a piece of that and drink my wine. And because it's so thoughtfully selected and I'm so present with it, I don't really feel the need to have tons of it. I never feel deprived of it in my everyday life. It's not something that I'm craving and desiring. So it's not like I go ham, (laughs) ha ha, ham. It's not like I go (laughs) full on balls to the wall when I have that item. uh, Instead, I just get to be really present with it and enjoy it until I can tell that I've had enough and then move on. Um, So, you know, when you visit your family in Italy, you're probably going to have, you know, fresh egg pasta. And it's probably going to be so wonderful for you to fulfill that vision of eating pasta in a place where you have family heritage that's been freshly prepared that you just generally, genuinely wouldn't feel fulfilled by eating vast quantities of it, it would make you feel sick. Yeah. You I actually know? have family
1: that lives there, so they don't speak English um, and I speak very bad Italian. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, there's going to be no way for me to explain to them, that I don't eat that stuff and like they would probably be like I don't know what you're talking about um mm-hmm. so yeah I'm just like I'm gonna eat what they give me obviously like I I just personally don't like to eat meat so I won't be eating meat but I'm like I'm hoping that they serve me that pasta with some cheese and then I also hope that they serve me cannoli that's like that would be you know yeah that would be
0: ideal <laughs> yeah when or I'm salt. in Italy like I'm not talking vegan croissants I'm talking <laughs> yeah. butter. Yeah, I'm fresh <laughs> from the cow butter. Like yeah. that's what I oh want to see. <laughs> the word
2: when you said for Marjorie, I don't know. Like it was like you talked dirty to me, and I immediately was like, <laughs> I cannot wait. Like I was like, oh my <laughs> goodness! It, look, COVID has been been ruining my life. So uh, driving around recently in the city, and I think I talked about this a little bit earlier, um, before we got on air, is that I've been seeing and been very critical of our food deserts and what our politicians are going to be doing about this. And it seems to not be on anyone's platform. It's very frustrating because I've lived here for over a decade and the places seem to be getting bigger um, in terms of more development, urban development and pricing people out and obviously gentrification. But the food deserts aren't disappearing with that gentrification. Like you're also, the gentrifiers are now living in food deserts. So it's so ridiculous. So there are so many places around the U.S. that are developing that have, or underdeveloped, that have this issue. Um, what are some steps that people can take who are living in a food desert to access healthier food? And what can, maybe even if you have any tips on what we can do as people, like how can we donate or what what sources that you know of that we can get involved in in being a, trying to help this issue because this has been such a big problem for me i feel like I've complained about it on this podcast before yeah i know about all my friends about how and bad John was working in a food
1: is. desert here in orlando
2: just recently and it just so, it's not yeah. even just like fast food is available like there's no food in some places yep. like there's yep. literally no literally yeah like food where <laughs> he isn't, where he was in
1: Carver Shores like that's what it was there's not even a fat like fast food there
2: you can't even there's nowhere yeah. to buy food like people have to walk for miles on their feet in a place where we don't have sidewalks to get food so i really would like to discuss that with you since you're a nutritionist and have a little bit more insight on what we can do to use the resources that we have or what can we do to try to get these resources to the people who need them
0: absolutely uh, this is i think especially topical in the light of covid uh, mm-hmm. because when people uh, it was, first let's break down food desert a little bit just for your listeners Oftentimes, it is a place where there's literal food scarcity, where people do not have access to enough calories to live, right? Uh, That happens in the U.S. It happens in the global south quite a lot uh, and in developing countries. In the U.S., a more common form of food desert is where calories are available, but there is a nutrient scarcity. So there are enough calories to live, but there is not enough nutritional building blocks within those calories to build people's health in the way that they deserve. So that's why it's possible for nutrient scarcity and nutrition-related health problems to be present in the same areas. So if someone's living in a food desert, they could experience higher population rates of diabetes and hypertension, what the government classifies as obesity, and still be in nutrient scarcity. A lot of times people get confused because they're like, what do you mean this area suffers from really poor health, and a lot of people are classified as obese, yet you're telling me they're in a food desert. That's because there's a difference between food scarcity and nutrient scarcity. Um, It's possible to have nutrient scarcity in the presence of caloric surplus. And it's a vicious cycle because when you are nutrient deficient, it increases your chronic disease risk, like diabetes hypertension, et cetera. And that makes people more susceptible to acute diseases like COVID or the common cold. So if if people are living with chronic conditions, their immune system and overall health is at a lower baseline level. And when things come along at an acute level like COVID, it's easier for them to fall prey to those things or to suffer complications as a result of those diseases. And it's a super racist issue because we've seen COVID disproportionately affect the indigenous black and brown communities, which are also the communities that live in nutrient scarcity. Um, So I think that it's super topical that you brought this up for something like COVID because it becomes more than a food desert issue and more than a BMI issue and a, oh, look, by not providing these communities with access to quality nutrients, we are making them we are putting them at a greater risk of of COVID uh, contraction and morbidity. We're putting them at a greater risk for complications from the common cold uh, or the flu or things like that. And that is just, again, mind-boggling to me. That's the kind of thing that, like, keeps me up at night. Um, So as such, I think that the best way to ensure that people have the option, again, because no one is, you know, has to eat a certain way to be a a good member of society. But the best way to ensure that people have the option to eat the quality of food that they deserve is to break down structural racism and examine our impulsive bias. You know, uh, the Mm -hmm. fact, like, I mean, it's kind of a non-sexy answer because it doesn't involve food, but like, it's not about, we need to make food banks in historically underprivileged areas. It's, we need to examine, Why are there historically underprivileged areas? How can we pump resources into those areas to make sure they are no longer underprivileged? How can we create social support programs for people that live in food deserts? How can we give them safe places to live? Not like, if they can pay rent, no, I mean, give them safe places to live. Uh, How can we provide jobs that pay enough to live consistently, and how can we eliminate the scarcity mindset and the allostatic load uh, of stress and poverty, and then watch the food system correct itself? I think that we need to break down big food companies uh, and replace the profit motive that necessitates constant growth and overproduction and sale uh, with a people motive, which is difficult to do, but it has to be done. Um, And you know, you said on a short-term person-to-person basis. So as an individual, if you are able and are privileged enough to, you can try to get as much food directly from farmers and farmers markets as possible, and then get involved in your local community and support projects that put the means of food production in the hands of those that need it most. So things like community gardens, uh, things like Taking restaurant surplus and delivering it for free to people, uh, teaching people how to farm the land and really just Mm -hmm. like aid for agriculture um, and setting up food production within people's communities so that they are not dependent on outside sources to feed themselves which I realize saying this is like a massive overhaul. And that's why we could start with, uh, you know, trying to buy your food from a farmer and paying them a living wage for that food. Um, But I think that it's just absolutely essential that we hold the feet of these big transnational food companies to the fire. And we speak up to our local state elected officials and our national elected officials and let them know that like, hey, this is important to us. And I think that we can go beyond we want to eliminate food deserts and put more grocery stores in rural areas and say, listen, we shouldn't have underprivileged communities. There is enough to go around. We need to redistribute. And when I say give people homes, like, I mean, give people homes, like, (laughs) you know, make no mistake about it. Like when I say defund the police, I mean, defund the police. When I say give food to people, I mean give food to people. There there shouldn't be this transactional nature to it, like bootstrap narrative of oh, if they just worked harder, oh, if they just made smarter decisions, they could avoid nutrition related diseases. No. They should they shouldn't be in a position where these foods are being thrust upon them. That is the fault of the colonizer and the colonizer needs to fix it.
1: Oh, my God. In five years of this podcast, this is by far the best thing any white person has said on here. I've just got to say oh, that. Oh, my God. <laughs> on it. Oh, oh, man. like I love it. You're just like, it's racist. And that is that's the bottom line. And it's like, it's true. Like, you're not wrong. and And that's why I think that like, what you do is so important, because like, it is so important to have people in your field understand that, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's you know i i've said i've always said like i don't think that we can solve these issues without having people on both sides like fully understanding the issues like we can't solve these issues of racism with just you know black people and people of color being the ones to deal with them right and so mm-hmm. it's like i love that you understand that and that you you know are so vocal about that in your field because i think a lot of people in your field don't like a lot of nutritionists especially white nutritionists are not thinking about black people and brown people at all and you think about that a lot even in just how you refer to the way that you eat food you know what I mean so that's huge
0: yeah it's um I thank you first of all and it's something that I'm continually trying to educate myself about and trying to do better and learn um because I did grow up thinking that like oh I I have black friends so racism must not exist um and the more you learn that's not the case, and the more you see that the form of racism we have now is so insidious and literally just making people sick, and that our concept of good food is rooted in white colonialism, uh it's like, oh man, we got some we've got some work to do, yes, complete overhauls, yeah, for
2: sure. <laughs>
1: We talk a lot about stress, um, you and I, when it comes to like my food and my nutrition, that sort of thing. And like, originally it's like, you know, we started working together in my mind because of like, I have a fibroid, but really it's like, I have a fibroid because I have anxiety and because I have stress and because I have depression. And like a lot of being an entrepreneur um, is having a lot of stress and I've been doing it for so long. And that's something that you pointed out is like, you've been like working your behind off, like for all of these years without, like, any real sort of rest. Um, so, yeah, entrepreneurs and, and freelancers can and creatives in general can experience, like, really large amounts of stress with no uh, downtime. So what are some ways that people can improve their stress levels using nutrition? Because I think that a lot of people will say, like, oh, like, take a break or take a bath or, you know, take a walk. But people don't really talk about using nutrition to help stress as
0: well. Yeah, I'm so glad that you asked. My answer at first is going to be very unsexy. Uh, eat enough. <laughs> Number one. Yeah. Like if vitamin C drinks make you feel great, if you want to take your colloidal silver and your milk thistle, great. Go for it. But you need to eat enough. Uh, <laughs> I you have to eat tell, lunch. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yeah. That was something Charisma and I worked on, you know, when she would describe to me how when she would shoot these long weddings or if she had a busy day of clients, you know, she would just go. And we all do that, right? We pride ourselves on being productive, on just going, on powering through, on getting it done. Um, But at the end of the day, that is just contributing to our stress level. And Mm -hmm. taking time out to eat is going to alleviate stress. I use a car metaphor for a lot with my clients. Um, You know, like you can put windshield wiper fluid in your car You can put coolant in your car, you can wax it, you can put those little Glade air fresheners in the air vents, make it look really nice. But if there's not enough gasoline, it's not going anywhere. Like you need enough calories at the baseline. And again, this is where diet culture, I think, like kind of shoots a lot of people in the foot. Because they think that they need the right kind of calories and all the super foods and, you know, this and that. I need to eat low carb this. They focus so much on perfect consumption. When base level, what's going to reduce your stress and improve your health is eating enough food regularly. Every single day, eat enough food, get enough sleep, drink enough water. If you're experiencing chronic anxiety, go to therapy. People are like, oh, yoga is my therapy. Cooking is my therapy. No therapy is therapy, Mm -hmm. cooking is cooking. (laughs) So sleep, go to therapy, drink enough water and eat enough food. Baseline. Um, I can give you like more fun answers. But that's like the hard truth that a lot of people don't want to hear like they want there to be a silver bullet. um, And there's just not like you just I mean, there kind of is a silver bullet and it'll make your life a lot better. And that is eat enough all the time
1: um <laughs> yeah that was so hard for me i don't know why it's like just eat lunch but yeah
2: yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> it, it's just hard like what's lunch who who is she where did she where did we find her like where does she appear yeah so, yeah.
0: Totally. yeah and well the reason i i'll talk about that briefly the reason why that's important um eating lunch is because either actual or perceived lack of calories puts your body into a fight or flight mode mm-hmm. or elevating your cortisol, which has a cascading effect on your other hormones. So cortisol is your stress hormone. And when your stress hormone is chronically elevated, that affects things like your estrogen, testosterone, progesterone balance, which is where a lot of women experience things like PCOS, fibroids, etc. So the key to keeping cortisol in check from a nutrition standpoint is avoiding big blood sugar swings. And those big blood sugar swings happen when you go for long periods of time without eating or if you're eating mostly foods that break down really quickly. Uh, For example, simple carbohydrates. So simple carbs are not bad at all. But if you consume them with stabilizers like fat or protein that don't have an effect on your blood sugar, they will help mitigate that swing. They'll keep your blood sugar from rollercoasting up and down, rollercoastering, there we go, Um, they'll keep you full longer and, you know, adding a pairing with it is just a chance to like make your food more delicious and get more goodness in. So for example, you know, having a quick bag of tortilla chips versus having a bag of tortilla chips plus some bean dip or some leftover tofu scramble, grabbing an apple as you go out the door or having an apple with a handful of nuts or with a protein shake. Um, fat and protein don't affect your blood sugar at all carbohydrates do. The more fiber is in those carbohydrates, the longer it takes your body to digest and the smaller that blood sugar swing is. Um, but you need protein, fats, and carbs throughout your day. So people are like, oh, protein and fat don't affect my blood sugar. Uh, so maybe I should just not focus on carbs, aka like cue the keto people. I'll just eat the things that don't affect my blood sugar. Nay, 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 because carbs are our number one preferred source of energy for the body. Our brain needs them to function. Um, So if you don't have them, you'll become a very sad human very quickly. Um, But balancing them out with fat and protein can help your body stay more even keel. When you skip meals, it's You know, like it's like double negative because you are not putting anything into your body. Um, And you go into food-seeking mode. You go into survival, fight-or-flight mode. Your cortisol elevates. Sometimes people say, like, oh, I don't even feel hungry. Like, I feel hungry for a little while, and then it just goes away. Um, It's because your body has kicked into reserves and your cortisol level is so high that you can't even feel things like hunger. You can't even feel emotions like laughter or joy, all you're doing is just functioning. You know, you're just like high stress functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely important to eat. And that is why we're trying to keep our bodies out of fight or flight mode, keep cortisol levels low, keep all of our hormones balanced. And we do that by keeping our blood sugar in check. So I would recommend that your listeners try to balance out their meals with uh, protein and fat. They can also try to prioritize soothing and comforting foods rather than stimulating foods if they're in a period of high stress or anxiety. So for example, something that is warm and creamy like three bean chili with avocado instead of something that is cool and crunchy and more stimulating like a cruciferous vegetable raw salad with like sparkling water. You know, that sounds like a delicious meal but if you're already stressed you want to eat something that feels soothing to your body well, um you should eat curry oats because
1: that's the best thing ever yes
0: oh curry oats <laughs> curry oats the real mvp
2: yes, yes. yeah um, i want sarah to write a book like i, I don't want the listeners to have to listen to this for free anymore i want them to pay you actually and she, and has, Lindsay,
0: she has a food a, a food book so i do on. i have a um This is actually, oh, thanks, Charisma. I do have a snack ebook that was like kind of specifically designed for people like entrepreneurs, creatives, parents, anyone that's on the go. It's uh, 25 snack recipes that are all balanced in the way that I talk about, where there's carbohydrate, fat, and protein all represented so that it's like a balanced snack. And they're all portable so that they can be taken with you or prepared in advance. Uh, and you don't have to like sit in the kitchen and make them every time you want to eat them. So, yeah, uh, they can buy my book. It's only five bucks and snack on those things. Um, but as they want to get into like the supplement things. So like it's like if we're looking at an iceberg, you know how most of the iceberg is under the water. Mm-hmm. So under the water, eating enough food, getting enough sleep, going to therapy, drinking enough water. And then yeah. the iceberg that you can see. Things like balancing out your macronutrient profiles and not waiting too long between meals. Tip of the iceberg would be things like supplements and all your woo-woo stuff. For stress management, I really love ashwagandha. I take it every day. I recommended it to Charisma as well. I take it every day, yes. And And I try to make
1: every person I talk to take it. I'm like, why wouldn't you take it? The whole world should take it.
0: Yep. And it's great because it just builds up resilience over time. Uh, I can tell you explain it, how it works again? Because I can't do a good job at that. <laughs> yeah. So ashwagandha is an adaptogen, uh, which means it adapts to your body's needs from a day-to-day basis. It can either up or down regulate specific processes in the body. So if you're taking something like ginseng, for example, as a stimulating herb, it's always going to upregulate things uh if you're taking something like chamomile that's going to always down regulate things ashwagandha is flexible energy support so it meets your body where it's at on any given day and if you take it consistently you sort of build up this reserve this foundation of support that's able to flow with you so i tell people it's great because you're yeah you're not going to start taking it and then one week later be like i'm a changed woman Um, because it, you know, it takes some time to build up that foundation, but also it's not like if you skip it for a day, you're going to be like, wow, I'm depressed. I have no energy. What is life? I hate everything. You know, it, it works both ways where it's contributing to your foundation. So I definitely recommend ashwagandha as an adaptogen for stress management that plays nice with pretty much anything else you can be taking. Uh, It hasn't really been known to cause any adverse effects. Um, And it's just really, really lovely. Um, The other big one is magnesium. Uh, People can supplement that, or you can just prioritize dietary magnesium, uh, which is highest in things like dark leafy greens, like your spinach, Pumpkin seeds are also super high in magnesium, along with apricots, either fresh or dried, dark chocolate, and soy products like tofu, tempeh, or edamame. Those are great sources of magnesium.
1: Yum, this is making me hungry. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> I know, I'm like, no. oh, I, know. I need a little snack. <laughs> I
0: uh, was just perfect. thinking about
1: when we had the pumpkin week and all the pumpkin stuff that you had me make and how, like, now it's actually going to be, like, seasonally appropriate.
0: I know, I was shopping the other day and I saw all of the like fall coffees and stuff out and I got so excited which excited. I don't like flavored coffees but it made me want to bake pumpkin things yes and yeah I'm excited
1: be- to bake pumpkin stuff yeah. yeah
0: before we got on the call I was trying to write a recipe for pumpkin cinnamon rolls so that's going to be coming up oh, soon gosh. it's August well, but I'm yeah. like it's fine <laughs>
2: For everyone who is listening, how can they get in touch with you? How can they contact you? How can they stalk you? How can they support you? How can they uh, buy all yes. the
0: things? <laughs> well, you can uh, – please don't stalk me in person. But <laughs> unless you're moving to Brooklyn and you want to eat some vegan food and have a picnic in the park, in that case, DM me on Instagram and let's do it. Um, but you can find me on Instagram at Sarah. There's no H on my name, so it's just S A R A. I'm also at snackwithsarah.com where you can sign up for my email list, The Snack Squad. I email out free recipes with some fun facts. Um, Also available on my website is information about my one-on-one nutrition coaching. And I have some free resources there as well. I have a list of my favorite items at Trader Joe's, which is always a good go-to. And I also have a free download of my total 10 which are the 10 foods that I try to eat personally every day uh, to ensure daily vitality. uh, And I recommend to all of my clients as well. It's just a primer on those 10 foods. It lists them out and gives an example day of eating, just so that you can sort of get acquainted with that framework. I have mentioned that I'm a type A person. I like to have structure, but I don't like to have restriction. So the total 10 ensures that I'm getting a variety of foods to populate my gut, to get a ton of different antioxidant benefits to make sure that I'm getting protein, carbs, and fats without putting any limits on it. Like those 10 foods are a minimum for me and not a maximum. Uh, And it can also help if you are someone that struggles with remembering to eat. If you have a minimum number of foods that you have to eat per day, that's a good place to start um, to make sure that you're getting enough food. And if people are like, hmm, I wonder if I'm getting enough food. If you wonder if you're getting enough food, you're probably not getting enough food. Yep. So, yeah. if I can leave your listeners with one thing, it's visit me at Snack with Sarah S A S-A-R-A. R A. Please shoot me a DM. I love chatting with people. If you have questions, um, and eat enough food, live your life, and eat enough food that you truly enjoy. If you don't actually like the food you're eating, it ain't worth it. Like, make sure that your food is giving you as much value as it possibly can
1: amazing. So like thank good. you so just thank you so much for like speaking to us today and like I this was just so information packed as I knew it would be and honestly like I can legitimately say like I don't think I would have gotten through this year without you. Um like I get emotional when I tell people about you or just like just the journey that we've had and everything. So just thank oh. you for like literally like getting me through this year cuz I don't know what I would have done without you. You've literally changed I, I always thought that I had like a healthy relationship or healthy-ish, I guess. It was like, I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's it's good enough because I knew what health foods were. Uh, but really I had a terrible relationship with food. And in such a short amount of time, you have completely switched that flip for me. And it's so amazing to be in this terrible ass year but to be able to enjoy food again and to feel better than I've literally felt in years in 2020 I feel better than I felt in years so I there's just not enough money or thank yous in the world like to give you
0: oh that's music to my ears thank you so much that makes me so happy and that is how I want everyone to feel that is like I said why I became a nutritionist because I felt that for myself and I was like oh my gosh life is amazing and there are so many people walking around not realizing how great it can be uh yes they fuel themselves correctly and then watch the rest fall into place it's really really powerful so i'm really glad to hear you say that
1: yay well thank you so much for being on with us like i i just can't thank you enough this is like my favorite episode ever
0: (laughs) yay thank you guys so much for having me this has been so wonderful